threatening Friday night lights. This might not work out in Texas. Welcome to the Texas Take. And thank you so much for making this the number one political talk show in the state, podcast or otherwise. That's my understanding anyway. I'm Scott Braddock. He's Jeremy Wallace. You can find me at quorumreport.com. And Jeremy's work is at houstonchronicle.com and expressnews.com each and every week. And Jeremy, before we get into what's going on with vouchers and the potential banning of Lonesome Dove in libraries, and we're going to take a trip back to the 80s and all this stuff. It's all coming. Did you call last week's show a double platinum edition? Oh, yeah. All you, all you KISS fans out there know what I was talking about, right? Yeah. This might even top it. Can you imagine it? Are you ready? You look you look pumped. Uh, wait, we, let me put my yeah. seatbelt on. Oh yeah. <laughs> Before we get into it, put your seatbelt on. And I want to mention this. Um, I was asked, and Jeremy, you know this about me. I don't go around raising money for different charitable organizations. I don't go around doing the gala scene in Austin or Houston. It's just not my thing. But I was asked this year to raise money for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society in Central Texas. And when I was asked, the choice was really clear. And that's that there is no choice. I have to do this. And, and here's the reason. And a lot of our readers at quorumreport.com know this. My, my publisher, Harvey Cronberg, my friend and my mentor, when his wife passed away in 2017, she had been diagnosed with leukemia. And to say it was devastating for us is an understatement. I, I, I can't even really put it into words. Um, but when they asked me to do this, I said, yes, there was no instantly just, you know, I'm, I'm ready to go. Um, so for people who listen to the show, I want to issue a challenge. I know that there are those of you who were very upset with us when we didn't have a show a couple of weeks ago. And that's why we did the double platinum edition last week, right. To kind of make up for it. So for the people who were mad that we didn't have a show, the kind of folks, the kind of listeners who, if they miss a show, they have to go back in time for the last couple of weeks and listen to all the shows before they can listen to the current one. Uh, for, for those listeners, I would say your minimum donation on this deal should be $20. Okay. Just 20 bucks. Easy. Now I've got people donating already at the sort of the 250 and $500 level. If you can do that, that's great. But if you, if you can't, that's fine. Every dollar helps. So those just ultra fans do 20 bucks. And for those who listen to kind of hate on me, because I, I get plenty of that. People want to dunk on me. It's, it's never directed at Jeremy. The hatred comes my way usually for a variety of reasons. Anyone who hate listens to me, you should donate at least $25, right? That they, that they should do more, Jeremy. I've made it real easy. Go to scottbraddock.com. It's just my name, scottbraddock.com. Uh, and the link to donate is right there. We really appreciate it. Okay. I mentioned Friday Night Lights. And it seems like the governor's listening to the show, Jeremy. You saw this week, and I think you were there. Uh, we were, I was there briefly. You were there for the whole thing. The governor brought his school voucher roadshow to the Capitol. And it was our understanding that he was maybe helping to bus people in. I know that there were certain groups that were doing that. They were going to uh, you know, get people to come in from San Antonio and Houston, maybe some other places, to have a giant rally at the Capitol. As you noted on Twitter, it might not have been the best weather for it. It was a little drizzly, nasty outside, but it wasn't pouring rain either. I'm just going to say that. Uh, I think there were maybe, I don't know, 150, 200 people max, something like that, at this little rally at the Capitol. And here's some of what the governor had to say as he continues to push for, quote unquote, parental empowerment and school choice in Texas. We need to do a better job of educating our children. That's on all of us, not just me, not just these legislators. It's on you and every Texan. And we are up to this challenge. We will beat this challenge. 
I would say, a paltry turnout for this. Now, you have been to, I guess, at least a couple of the events that have happened in other places, uh, including at a Christian school in Harris County. Is that right? And and you weren't there for this other one in Odessa, but he has a different sort of argument that he's using. Um, and before, before we get into it, I just want to say that there is one aspect of all this that we have been on top of on this show, right, that we've talked about multiple times here. And that is the fact that in this state, the thing that this would hurt, that basically everyone would care about, especially in small town Texas, is our Friday Night Lights. Really setting this up for you, Jeremy. How does it go? It's uh, clear eyes, full hearts, and then what? I don't know. <laughs> Can't lose. Clear eyes, full hearts. Can't lose. Clear eyes, full hearts. Can't lose. Clear eyes, full hearts can't lose. How can you not I read know the that, book? Jeremy? I didn't. I, yeah, I'm come not, on, I'm not... everyone knows the show. <laughs> but everyone I knows read the, the show. book. The book okay, is we're amazing. Gonna... The book is amazing, and we're going to get to a discussion about being well-read coming up, believe me. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) when it comes to the show, everybody remembers the show. In fact, you might remember that when NBC uh, was airing Friday Night Lights and it didn't do well all across the country, they still had to work out a deal to keep it on the air anyway because people in Texas wanted it so bad. What they ended up doing was they took it off the main network and they put it on DirecTV on one of their little uh, channels that nobody even remembers the name of so that they could finish out the show. So. I bring all this up to say this, the governor's now addressing this directly. The idea that school vouchers and diverting money from public education could hurt high school football in Texas. And we first heard about this, I think, was this at the event in Houston, Jeremy? Yeah, that's at uh, Christian, uh, Cypress Christian in Houston. Yeah, here's what he said. There are arguments against this by the plenty, by critics who want to maintain the status quo. And I'm going to go through some of those arguments. And they are repeats of arguments that have taken place in the past. The first is that, well, if we have school choice, it's going to defund our public schools, and it's going to end high school football as we know. (laughs) He said the same arguments were made when charter schools were being expanded in Texas, and he said football is just as good as ever around here. The state championship for the top category in 6A has been fought for like three out of the past four years by your regional team, North Shore, versus my alma mater, Duncanville. <laughs> and Duncanville won the state championship this year, and high school football has never been better. You noticed this, Jeremy, that in Midland, Odessa, when he was talking there, at, uh, you know, basically outside of Odessa Permian, right? He, he had a little uh, bit different take on this. Uh, he omitted something. And as it concerns high school football, listen, I went to an Odessa Permian Midland football game, and I can tell you, football is alive and well in the Permian Basin as well as across the entire state of Texas. Jeremy, that's just good marketing right there. 
Well, yeah, and and when you're you're giving a speech three miles from Odessa Permian uh, Panther Nation, uh, that is the heart of Mojo, is what they call it out there. You're right. in the middle of it. If you're going to tell them that Duncanville won the state championship in a year in which their school struggled in the playoffs, they got knocked out really early, and it's not going over well. <laughs> you don't want to throw salt into that wound. <laughs> and I no. give the, the governor credit for acknowledging and recognizing that there are certain parts in the state where you don't want to brag about Duncanville winning the state championship uh, over everybody else. <laughs> and higher on that list would be when you're within three miles <laughs> of Odessa Permian. <laughs> they clearly did their advance work on that. Uh, you know, I think it's, it's something that you have said on the show from the get go on this discussion. And I think at the beginning of this, and I'm going to give you some credit, Jeremy, because at the beginning, uh, as we were discussing all this, you would say, well, I don't know if it's that big a deal to even bring up, to even mention that you would also potentially be defunding high school football programs all over the state. And what did I say to you? I said, no, actually, it's a huge deal, right? It, all across the state, this is something that everybody cares about, right? Whether you're in suburban Texas, urban Texas, tiny little towns. And here's the thing. It has outsized importance in those rural areas where they need to flip votes of Republican legislators if they're going to get vouchers passed. Yeah, and think of what's been killing voucher proposals over the years. Back in 2017, the Texas High School uh, Coaches Association came out hard against vouchers and said, look, you know, it's like, you know, we've maintained our opposition against school vouchers, you know, for the past several legislations, and we intend to do the same thing. They haven't been as vocal this time around, but the the, the message has already been sent, right? The, the high school football coaches worried about where this will head. And why is that? Okay, so here... I, I did some research on this. Having been a one-time Florida resident, I you know dug through just the the, the top you know football recruits in in Texas and in Florida, and it just tells you what the situation is. Since you know Florida, remember, has a much more robust school choice program. They have a private school voucher component to the whole thing, and they're moving right along with it. Well, what has how has that changed high school football in Florida? Well, mm-hmm. twenty years ago, one out of the top ten kids. Uh, who were rated as top you know, recruits, went to a private school. Everybody else was a public school kid. Now, six out of the top 10 kids uh, in Florida who are rated in the top 10 for college recruiting, they are all private school kids, and about half of their top 50. What about Texas? Where are we at this point in high school football? Of our 50 top prospects you know, for colleges, we have one private school kid on that mm-hmm. list. Yeah. So you're looking at, you know, Florida, private school kids, you know, kids are going to private schools like to play football and they are winning state championships. Their state playoff tree looks like a private school versus public school battle in a lot of the, the divisions. And the, the, quite honestly, the private schools are winning a lot of those. You know, it's not just IMG Academy, which is that big sports academy that's technically uh, a, a private school there that wins a bunch of championships. But St. Thomas Aquinas in Miami is like uh, Tampa Jesuit. All these you know, private schools are the heart of football mm-hmm. in Florida. Texas, not so much. It is Mojo Nation. It is Converse Judson. It is mm-hmm. Plano. All these places where it's public school kids who are doing it. So, so what's that concern? You know, where's that rooted? I think it's in that data, and I think it's in that understanding. And and clearly, Abbott's hearing that message because, like, you know, look, this wasn't in his speeches a few weeks ago. 
It's right. like we weren't hearing anything about football, but now all of a sudden we have him, you know, in Austin and uh, Houston and down in uh, Odessa. It's like he is putting this everywhere, and it's it's taking up a piece that well, look, it gets a la- it gets a laugh at the uh, the the Christian academies and such, mm-hmm. but it's serious business. He knows this has potential to really you know stop him from getting this you know voucher proposal through you know, as we've mentioned before it's those rural areas that are concerned about the the effect on public school funding right. and by extension the community pride within you know, you know having a public school that is like not just for sports but just for for the whole community like that could get affected if too many people start hitting the door and taking their private dollar or taking their vouchers to a private school right yeah, and I tell you what's uh, adding to that is the proposal from the Texas Senate Education Chairman Brandon Creighton, which it includes these eight thousand dollar vouchers. Um, and what I have heard about it from folks in rural Texas is the superintendents and school board members have started to talk about how unfair it is to say that people in Dallas and Houston and Austin who are going to be the most likely to people in urban areas the most likely to take advantage of that coupon, as you've called it, about you know a school coupon. Uh, for $8,000 when the basic allotment per student is more like $6,000. So the people in the rural areas are going to get $6,000 from the state to educate kids with, you know, the whole cost of educating the kid is more like 13 or $14,000. But this idea of unfairness for the folks out in the country where they're they're saying, Hey, basically you're giving uh, two grand more to people for a coupon in Houston or San Antonio. And for our kids out in the country, you're giving us $6,000 from the state. That's completely unfair. And that money that goes into those school districts, it pays for the education. It pays for the uh, extracurricular activities like football, et cetera. And that's where they start to lose out on money from the state. It has nothing to, you know, this whole ruse about, uh, you know, rural districts are going to get $10,000 if, uh, if a student leaves a rural district to go to a private school, but they're not going to lose any students to private schools, you know, on the whole, because there are no private schools in those areas. That's, that's silly, right? That, that, that doesn't address the real concern, which is that for the overall pot of money that goes to public education in Texas, it will be reduced if money is diverted for those $8,000 a piece vouchers, Jeremy. Well, and, 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 the, and the carve out they're trying to do for the small districts to send them more money, you know, boy, that you want to talk about crossing the red wire with the black wire. It's like the thing is they're trying to do it in terms of size of school district. Well, here I'm I'm here to tell you that Alamo Heights Independent School District could actually get more money, you know, to you know, recover from kids leaving. And for those listeners who don't know San Antonio, Alamo Heights is, well, where the rich kids go. (laughs) It is a very rich, wealthy area of San Antonio. And to think that those that school district will get more money per student that leaves than the San Antonio Independent School District. Mm-hmm. That, that makes no sense, I think, to most logical human beings. So as they try to kind of hit the small district, small district doesn't equal rural district. It is not the same right. thing. A lot of rural districts are small, but there are urban districts that are also equally small as they protect a brand. Like, again, not to pick it down my heights, but those kids are not hurting. <laughs> you know, they don't need extra funding to go to their school you know, where San Antonio Independent School District is like, what? What about us? It's like, we need help. We need more teachers. And we are having a hard time recruiting. 
the Texas Senate Education Committee, I mentioned the chairman, Brandon Creighton, they held a marathon hearing in the Senate. They had about 400 witnesses signed up to talk about the school voucher bill, which also includes other things that um, that are you know branded as parental rights. I would think of it kind of like, you know, when you're trying to give um, give your pet a, a you know, some medication. And so what you what you do is you, you feed them some meat and you put the, the pill that's nasty in the meat. Right. So that they'll eat it. Right. They put the vouchers in with all this other stuff that people like. That's what this bill is. Senate bill eight. And this went on forever. If they had heard all of the testifiers who had signed up, it would have been about a 20 hour hearing, something like that. If you uh, if you limit everybody to about three minutes, of course, some people who sign up to testify on these things don't actually testify. A lot of people just give up because it's been they thought they would get to go and give testimony. It would be real quick. There's some people who tell them that, and then that doesn't work out. Eight hours later, they leave without getting to speak, but at least they registered for or against the piece of legislation. But you know who did get to testify? Corey D'Angelo, the guy who calls himself a school choice evangelist or something like that. I would call him a paid activist. What he told the committee was almost exclusively about the politics of all this and almost had nothing to do with what's good for students. And look, the wind is at our backs. There's a universal school choice revolution unfolding right before our eyes all across the country. In just two years, five states have already passed universal school choice policies, starting with Arizona in 2022. In Arizona now, every single family is eligible to take their children's education dollars to the education provider of their choosing. That could be the public school. If you like your public school, you can keep your public school. Whoa. Now that sounds like something that I have brought up on this program for a while, Jeremy. In fact, I went back and looked. Now, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, that what Governor Abbott was saying sounded a lot like what D'Angelo just said, which is, if you like your public school, you can keep your public school. Or if you like your rural school, you can keep your rural school. Do you remember that we had an episode of this show that was from last year, right? It was, uh, it was in May of last year. The title of the podcast was, if you like your public school, you can keep your public school because that's the way Abbott was taught. He didn't use those words, but that's the way he talked about it at the time. And what did I compare it to? I'm trying to remember if you like your public school, you can keep your public school. (laughs) It sounds a lot like something I heard from a different politician years prior. If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor under the reform proposals that we put forward. If you like your private health insurance plan, you can keep it. If you like the plan you have, you can keep it. If you like the doctor you have, you can keep your doctor too. We will keep this promise to the American people. If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. Now, President Obama might have been well-meaning when he was pushing the, um, the you know, the Affordable Care Act, what is now known as Obamacare. Um, and hey, uh, maybe let's give Corey D'Angelo the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they're well-meaning when they say, if you like your public school, you can keep your public school. I read from PolitiFact about 10 years ago, and they called it a catchy political pitch and a chance to calm nerves about the dramatic and complicated plan to bring historic change to America's health insurance system. I could do like Mad Libs with that and read it this way. It's a catchy political pitch and a chance to calm the nerves about rural Texans about a complicated plan to bring historic change to the public school finance system in Texas. The pitch, of course, was if you like your health plan, you can keep it. 
And the pitch now is if you like your school, you can keep it, right? But the promise was impossible to keep. So this fall, and this was back in 2012, 2013, this fall, as cancellation letters were going out to approximately 4 million Americans, the public realized that President Obama's breezy assurances were wrong. And PolitiFact that year called it the lie of the year, right? So now you have politics, not all Republicans. There are some Republicans who don't like this, right? This is not partisan. Some Republican politicians and activists who are saying that if we take money out of the public school system in Texas, that everything's going to be just fine, that your public schools will be just fine. And what did the governor say over and over again at all of these events? I was at the one in Corsicana. You were there in Houston. We heard from the event in Odessa. At all these events, he says schools will be fully funded. And I'm here to make a bold prediction, Jeremy, that if these bills were to pass, that if PolitiFact looked into it or any other group looked into it, it could also be described as the lie of the year. You can't say that you're taking money out of a system and then say that there's going to be just as much money in the system. And he's not quite saying that, but I would say this, the use of the term, quote, fully funded is deliberate, right? And you've pointed this out before. You can debate what that means to be fully funded. It's sort of a sleight of hand and a breezy assurance to those folks in the country out, out, out there in rural Texas, and especially in rural Texas. But I've had some listeners say, hey, it's not just rural schools that are going to suffer under this. I get that. But the deal is to be able to change votes in the legislature, the governor has to give these breezy assurances to those rural Republicans that nothing bad is going to happen to their schools. And the math just doesn't work, Jeremy. Yeah. And he clearly knows that that's a problem because he's still trying to address that everywhere he goes. But also, like, you just got to understand, like, even when they say it, uh, you know, the school funding will continue or we're going to put more money into it, yeah, that's what they're saying this year, and they can do that for this year's budget. But it's, right. it's the long term. You know, 10 years from now, whoever's sitting in that governor's mansion, whoever's in the Texas legislature, you and I will still be here, but you know, whoever's doing making decisions in that future time, they're not going to be under any obligation to keep the money going at the same rate. You know, they're, right. you know, you know th- we have the extra money this year to make it look like the schools won't be affected for eternity. Right. But, you know, give me a couple of years down the road. What's the, what's it going to look like in 2030? You know, will, you know, the public school funding continue to rise at the same level as both charter schools and private schools continue to grow? You know, because mm-hmm. look, if you do get a private voucher program, the one thing I learned in, in Florida was that, you know, the private school world grows you know mm-hmm. it's like it, it proliferates even more so look it was already there i'm not saying it invented private schools but certainly it added another component where they could get you know state funding they can get students in a different way school choice was completely you know it just changed the way kids go to school and we're kind of getting there in texas but we're not quite to that level yet where we're like okay you can now go to a private school with your tax dollars and get your coupon to go pay down the private school tuition. You know, that school, you know, Governor Abbott was speaking to in Cyprus, you know, the mm-hmm. Cyprus Christian Academy, it's you know, over $20,000 a year to attend that for high school. So take your $8,000. And if you have three kids, like I do, uh, you realize there's no way, there is no way you're taking your kids to that school. If you have three of them in $8,000 per kid. It's not going to happen. So it obviously it's not going to help everybody. 
Yeah, Mark Wiggins is with the Association of Texas Professional Educators. He said that they're all for parental rights, which is part of this bill, but they can't be for the bill because it includes the school voucher provision. And we want parents to be engaged in their children's education and have access to curriculum and provide that access in a way that also doesn't uh, bog down our teachers with even more burdensome paperwork. But we love to talk about how to make that easier for everyone involved. We do oppose SB8 because of the voucher. Spending public tax dollars on private schools has nothing to do with parental rights. So we look forward to working with everybody uh, to protect these parental rights, but we're going to be against Senate Bill 8. I would add one thing to what you said, Jeremy, about how much money there is uh, expected to come into the state's coffers over the next uh, 24 months, over the next biennium. It's a record surplus, right? And so it, it's it's one of these mirages. And how, how often have you heard conservative lawmakers and conservative leaders like Lieutenant Governor Patrick say, we can't spend all the money, even though we have a bunch of money that's going to be in the bank, we can't spend all the money. We need to be, quote, conservative about how we approach this. As you said, future leaders, maybe a future governor or a future legislature with different members, they're not obligated to go ahead and keep putting all this money into public education and, and into the school voucher system in quite the same way. The other thing is they may not be able to Right. We probably not able to, given the fact that we have this historic surplus that the comptroller and others have said we're not going to see again in all likelihood any time soon. And I do think that a lot of what's happening at the Capitol right now is a broadside attack on public education in general. So you have the school voucher thing. You probably saw the uh, debate this week about what books should be in school libraries. And this is, and I'm trying to take people at their word, and it's hard. I mean, in doing journalism, you want to, one of the first things you do is be skeptical, right? I mean, don't accept the frame of the argument. Try to figure out what's really going on. You know, some of the just journalism 101 things. Um, When someone says that what they want to do is make sure that young people, young children, don't have access to pornography, you immediately would agree with that. I think Democrats, Republicans, liberals, conservatives, journalists, and others would say, you know what, this is a goal that makes sense. Let's keep pouring away from kids. Yes, we're all for that, right? And I think something that happens in this debate is that if you raise any questions about what's being done, they'll say, oh, well, and this, we see this across the country, right? With it, oh, well, you're a groomer if you're even raising questions about what the, what the, what the proposal is. But this proposal has some problems. So it comes from a guy named uh, Jared Patterson. He's a state representative from Frisco. And he really got his moment in the sun uh, in front of the Texas House Public Education Committee this week. He told the committee that he was sorry to them and to everyone who's watching watching this hearing. He said that he needed to apologize because of the nature of the topics that are going to come up as we get into what's in these books that he wants to ban from public school libraries. Before we get started, though, I do want to offer up a warning to anyone in the room, any children in the room, um, or those watching online uh, that may want to step out or may want to turn off uh, the hearing due to the sexually explicit content that will be discussed here. He talked about finding books in school libraries in his district, in the Frisco ISD, and I guess in some other places as well. He said that these things are disturbing, the things he found in different books. Some of these books portray gay sex acts. It's always the gay sex, isn't it? 
And he said that the school board there would not work with him on it. He said that he gave them every opportunity to, to you know, try to do you know, basically a collaborative effort on trying to fix the problem. So he has a bill now. He's acting as if this is his uh, last resort to file this bill. That's the way he that's the way he portrayed it. It has pretty vague standards in it about what um, would be allowed in school libraries. And this would basically set up a system at the state level to deal with this. Um, and he says, and here you go, I'm trying to take him at face value. I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt, but he doesn't give that to his opponents or anybody who might raise questions about it. Members, I know the media and certain activists will do everything to sensationalize this legislation and try to turn it into something that it's not. I want to be very clear. This is not a Fahrenheit 451 style book ban. This is not a fight about silencing minority voices. And this is not an argument about race or gender or religion or political ideology. There is one common denominator in the books that we are addressing with this bill, and that is sexually explicit content. And I watched this entire hearing, Jeremy, and as far as I could tell, no Republican or Democrat on the committee had a problem with the stated goal, which is keeping ex- you know, that sexually explicit content away from children. But as Representative Gina Hinojosa, who is a Democrat from Austin, pointed out, the language in the legislation wouldn't do only that because it's prohibiting books that are said to be, quote, pervasively vulgar, whatever that means. So this concerns me because I'm a boy mom. And um, I brought a sampling of some of his favorite books. So, I mean, if you haven't checked out the Fart Quest series, um, it's a real page turner for an an elementary school boy. And in fact, my son is dyslexic. And it's books like this, Captain Underpants and the Bionic Booger Boy. And um, here's another one. Super Diaper Baby 2 Potty Snatchers. (coughs) It's books like these that are lacking in sophistication um, and um, talk about bodily function that inspires him to read. And, you know, I didn't grow up with boys. This is new for me to be a boy mom. Um, I wish they would pick up Shakespeare and read that instead. They'll get there. This is what they choose. And what concerns me about your bill is my boys will always be able to read this kind of stuff because I'll buy it for them. Mm -hmm. But for so many of our kids, our libraries are the only access they have to books. Right. So it's key to understand this. She's not comparing those cute books about Mr. Fart Pants or whatever. She's not comparing that to the pornographic stuff that Patterson's talking about. The point is his bill lumps them all together as, as it's written, right? The, the way that it's written is so vague that someone could say, oh, wow, it's sort of patently offensive or overly vulgar or whatever to have a book that you know includes details about bodily functions like farting, which you know her son, who's an elementary school kid, that's what he wants to read. Let me put it this way. It's what gets him excited about reading, which is the thing that you want right? You don't want the kid to have porn, obviously. Who wants that? I would say only actual groomers would want that, right? <laughs> yeah. But 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 nobody would say that somebody who read Mr. Fart Pants or whatever it is, I wish I remembered the name of it now, whatever it is, <laughs> I'll look it up. Maybe I'll order it. 
Um, I guess I still have that right to order any book that I want in the United States. Just about. Um, the bill is the problem. It w- there were a lot of people who testified that it was offensive to compare classic works like Shakespeare and the Bible to some of these sexually explicit books. Well, it's not that the critics of the bill are comparing those things and saying they're the same. It's the bill that considers them to be the same, right? The the bill would catch all these things. That's the problem. So then you ask the question, and I saw all these headlines. And it was in your newsletter yesterday, Jeremy, in the Texas Take newsletter, that Patterson got the down arrow whenever you do your segment about who's up and who's down. Patterson got the down arrow because Lonesome Dove would be potentially banned in school libraries. But I remember the first time I read Lonesome Dove was in we – had, we had junior high. We didn't have middle school yet at that time. In junior high, I checked it out from the library. And it's one of the great works about it's one of the great pieces of fiction about Texas. Everybody knows it, right? Be, they yeah. read, you know, you mentioned reading the book Friday Night Lights. I, I read Lonesome Dove cover to cover, and that's not a short book. <laughs> it's not. It, I mean, it's kind of a hefty, kind of a hefty read. James McMurphy had a lot to say. Larry McMurphy had a lot to say. It could have been. I mean, I'll probably take some heat for this. It could have been edited. You know, they could have done one more pass through on that because because you know, you'd be in the middle of the story and then there'd be three pages about you know describing a wagon wheel before yeah. they get to the next thing. But you read it all because it was interesting and I believe a classic me, wagon wheel story. <laughs> yeah, whatever it was, he would go into excruciating detail about whatever you know he, he was discussing. And if you don't remember the book, you certainly remember that it was turned into a miniseries on CBS. CBS presents Lonesome Dove. This is Captain Woodrow F. Call. I'm Captain Augustus McCray. They say that both of you were Texas Rangers back in the old days. They lived by the strength of their word. Yes, I ain't no criminal. Sorry you crossed the line. Their courage guided the course of a nation. I don't see why you have to go up to Montana where the Indians cannot fight you. But I'd like to see at least one more place that ain't settled before I take up the rocking chair. They say you clean the Comanches out and the bandits. And their story became a legend. Remember at the end of the movie when the reporter finds Captain Call back in the small town of Lonesome Dove on the Rio Grande. And the question he's trying to ask the captain is, he, he, he's basically trying to get him to say anything. He says, he says, Captain, they say you're a man of vision. And he Captain Call suddenly has a flashback. He remembers everything that happened you know, over the course of the story of leaving Texas, going to Montana, losing a bunch of his friends along the way. His tragic story in a lot of ways, bringing the body of his friend back to Texas to be uh, laid to rest down in the San Antonio area and all of that. And the reporter has said, well, you, you're, you're supposed to be a man of vision. That's what people say. And he says, yeah, hell of a vision. You got to love that. Um, why did this come up in the hearing? Well, Representative James Tallarico asked if the standards that are laid out in Jared Patterson's legislation would apply to Lonesome Dove, which is, again, one of the greatest pieces of fiction ever about our state. So if if sex with a prostitute or rape are going to be considered um, sexual conduct under your definition, right? Because we got sexual conduct and then we got uh, offensive. Yeah, depending on how it reads, it could fall into the sexually relevant material that would not be right. removed. Now there's an opt-in for parents where you right. have to opt in to allow your children to but read sexually I mean, relevant material. Um, is sex with a prostitute patently offensive to you? Y- yes. Yes. It is. Okay. So if if sex with a prostitute is sexual conduct 
and patently offensive under your bill, Lonesome Dove by Larry McMurtry would be banned in school libraries across Texas. I mean, I'll have to take your word for it. I've not read the book and I don't have the pages before me. I mean, that's so, a, I, mean I mean, I'm saying that's a major, that's my point about tightening up language is like, if we pass a bill to the Texas legislature that bans Lonesome Dove out of Texas libraries, that is a travesty. And, I, and I'm not saying that, that we shouldn't look at, at books that are a problem. I'm just saying if we're doing this so broadly to where you're sweeping in Lonesome Dove, then we need to tighten up the language. Well, and, and I don't care if it's Lonesome Dove or any other novel. If it has sexually explicit material in it, I would view that as an incredible win for the students of the state to not have that material in the, in the library. Okay, a few things about that. Number one. It not only has Patterson not read Lonesome Dove, it's very clear from his comments, and I th- I'm trying to be fair here, it's very clear that he also doesn't know anything about it. No, right? I mean, not, not I mean, a it, word about it. <laughs> no, nothing, nothing about it. That's, that's, that's number one, which I think, and I saw a lot of people reacting to this online. I'll give Tallarico credit for being clever, at least. He got a lot of people to write about this. But, but I think the real point is this. He doesn't have to have read the book to have acknowledged that it would be banned under his bill because Tallarico asked him a specific question, which is this, is sex with a prostitute patently offensive? And the answer from Patterson was, quote, yes, close quote, right? So it doesn't even matter if he read it. According to him, according to Patterson, it would be banned. And that's not even close to the worst thing that's in this bill. And I'm glad that people are paying attention to it because of the Lonesome Dove thing. But but the bill, I mean, we're getting into prosecuting librarians. We're getting into what goes on now in Florida, where we've seen the reports out of uh, you know certain c- cities there and school districts in Florida, Jeremy, where you have teachers and librarians who, when a parent will come and ask them about what books they would recommend to get their kids you know, excited about reading, like Hinojosa was talking about, there are teachers and librarians who won't because they're afraid that they're going to run afoul of the law that was pushed by Governor Ron DeSantis to prohibit certain books from being seen by children, that you, that the vagueness of these uh, proposed laws and the one that passed in Florida, the vagueness of all this is the point that it, it has a chilling effect on people. You know, I mean, Patterson is somebody who he, he personally attacks critics of his um, in a way that is really unprofessional and kind of unbelievable. Um, and I do think that that is the kind of thing, just as Ron DeSantis does. And that's the kind of thing that also has a chilling effect. All of this stuff has a chilling effect on journalism, on teachers, on librarians, on the students themselves. And here's why I say that it would be fine to take this at face value and say, look, if they, if, and if, and I'll take Patterson at his word on this, he said he would work with the Democrats and others on the committee who want to tighten up the language so that the bill only does what he says the stated goal is, which is to keep porn from kids. The, again, nobody on the committee disagreed with that. But I think that the unsaid goal of this is to tar and feather people in public education in Texas, make it seem like the people in our schools are pushing porn on kids, which is just not happening. It's just a lie. It's not true at all. Even if he was able to find some examples of what he's talking about, to act as if this is happening wholesale at school districts all over the state is not true. And I have asked Patterson about this. I asked him, if you were serious about it, why don't you convene a roundtable with the telecoms in the state? with uh, AT&T and with T-Mobile and the other big operators of our telecommunications here and have a real discussion about how to keep porn away from kids on their phones because that's how they're actually getting it. Not at the school library. The, The whole idea that we're attacking independent school districts over this to me is disgusting. If, and here's how he can prove me wrong. 
fix that bill so that it only keeps porn away from kids and doesn't catch any of those other books. Yeah, exactly. You know, kids, you know, we've talked about this. Kids are exposed to so much more in, in, in movies and television and, you know, on their phone uh, than they're going to get out of the library. The fact that we're like trying to keep kids from getting books and send them to go watch stuff on TV instead almost is kind of like what's going to happen here. It's like, wait, why are we doing that? And the idea that Lonesome Dove would be behind some counter somewhere, behind some glass that you have to ask for, you know, you know, specially kind of like, yeah. And when you try to buy razors at the local convenience store, you know, right. like, please, can I please buy up this, you know, check out this book and read about Texas, you know? And, and look, you know, I, I grew up, you know, look, Tommy Lee Jones is in Lonesome Dove, man. It's like, he's the pride of San Saba County. He's from, right. he lives in San Antonio. That guy is about as Texas as Texas gets. The, the idea that maybe the book and like his performance would be held back from, from, you know, future kids. Like what, what, why are we doing this? It seems a, look, I can see what they're trying to do. Like you said, it's like, if the, if the goal is aimed at trying to crack down on pornography access right. in this state, go for it. Good. Yes. But the, 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 this elephant shot, you know, to, to hit everything, to not be able to immediately say, no, there's definitely no way we're going to let Lonesome Dove, you know, be taken away. You know, you know, in fact, we're going to make it required reading <laughs> in Texas. I'm surprised it's not required reading in, in some parts of Texas already. <laughs> but, well, Lonesome Dove, the Bible, Shakespeare. I mean, we're talking about things that kids should be able to read. And you could have, uh, I think with Lonesome Dove, I'll be, I'll be fair here uh, because that's what I do. You could have a discussion about at what age is a, you know it would be appropriate Fair. for a kid to read it. Now, I would say this about Lonesome Dove. <laughs> I don't think that a kid, and if the kid can read at this level, uh, you know, when they're five or six years old, there's some kind of genius, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> yeah. The, the, the kid that's going to pick up a book that is that thick and actually read it, I think it's age appropriate. Yeah. That's my that's my take okay, on that. But I do think the bigger things are criminalizing people in our public education system. And this all happens with, uh, you know, as a backdrop for the governor trying to push his school voucher plan, which again is also an affront to public education in the state. Um, we saw yesterday, interesting that Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick is pouring what I would say is the coldest water so far this session on any of these uh, expansion of gambling proposals. Uh, he's still sort of getting away with, with not saying where he is exactly on it, which is fascinating, right? Usually Dan Patrick will just let you know, lickety split. He'll let you know what he thinks about whatever it is. And on gambling, he's doing a little bit of a dance. What did he say on our friend Chad Hasty's show? Yeah, he said he didn't have the vote to bring it up. He's not saying that he doesn't want it to come up or that he wants it to come up. You know, it's like, he, like you said, he's, he's kind of, you know, for years now, he's been out to not take a real side on this mm -hmm. publicly, but he keeps saying, well, my members, you know, the amount of votes in the, the Senate. Well, and even in this case, there might be enough votes if you let the Democrats and Republicans work together, but there's not enough Republican votes in his mind to allow a bill on gaming, uh, casino gambling or sports betting get to the floor for a vote. If that if they don't have the votes, then clearly it can't pass the Senate mm -hmm. and it can't become law. So this might be the extinguishing of whatever little hope that the casino world thought they saw yeah. opening up when Governor Abbott last year said he was willing to consider the idea of resort style casinos. 
Now, this is just the first time that Patrick has said this on the record, but it's been my reporting at quorumreport.com for a couple of months that what Patrick has been saying behind the scenes to the various gaming interests, and this is casinos and sports betting, that he's been saying that not only do they need to secure 21 votes in the Senate, which is the constitutional requirement, because any expansion of gambling in Texas you got to have a constitutional amendment. It takes two-thirds of the House and Senate, and that means 21 votes in the Senate and 100 votes in the House. And it's not two, two-thirds of those present. It's a hard 21 votes and a hard 100 in the House. Uh, what Patrick has privately been saying is what he said to Hasty yesterday, which is, I need at least two-thirds of the Republican caucus to be on board with it in the Senate, which, Jeremy, that's what he's, th- that's what he's saying or that's what he's using to say that he doesn't have the votes, which is just made – that's his own thing. That's just made up. That's not a Senate rule. <laughs> that's that's not written down anywhere. That's just him saying that I need to have Republicans who are the ones who are driving the uh, driving the uh, driving the bus on this, right? He he basically said something to to Hasty like, oh, if if it's if it's all the Democrats joined with a smaller number of Republicans, then that would mean that Democrats are running the show in the Senate, and we can't have that. That's the way that he's framing it up when he says that he doesn't have the votes to get it done in the Senate, which is just him moving the goalposts on this thing. He had never said that publicly before. He had said it, my understanding is he had said it to the casino and the sports betting interest before. So he's kind of, in a way, trying to say to them that they haven't done their job. And I mean, for the for the industry, he's saying to them, they haven't done their job in securing enough support for this. At the same time, he's sort of getting away with acting as if, if the bill dies, it's not his fault, even though I would say it is, because he's just making that up. You know that, that that it's a rule that you have to have two thirds of the Republicans on board with something in the Senate. Well, and, and I'm not uh, to the point where I'm where I'm ruling this out as a potential negotiating tactic on his part. Uh, remember, it was just two years ago when he kind of made almost a similar pronouncement that he didn't have the votes for constitutional carry in the Texas Senate. Remember, and guess what's the law of the land now? constitutional carry everybody can have a gun you know you know and, and they don't need to go through that permitting process anymore and so so like he's been wrong on that before well maybe he was correct in that he didn't have the votes at the time yeah uh but then he did it's like and so i you know look we're, we're we still have a half a session to go here uh and so i was kind of careful how i wrote the stories like mm-hmm. yeah he's saying he didn't have the votes right now but i'm not ready to say this thing is dead yet if it is dead it's i'll done. tell you yep you know but right now it doesn't feel like jeremy that's where we're I'm, gonna, I'm gonna contradict you now it's dead it's done if this thing has been dead the whole time I'm, I'm i'm doing it right now now i want you to keep covering it like you would don't don't follow my lead i'm sitting here to tell you the thing is dead it's been dead the whole time Patrick is just making something up, and here's the big difference between the, the big difference between uh, constitutional carry, the way that played out, versus this. Constitutional carry is like a litmus test among Republican primary voters that they yep. were going to get that done for those people. On this, I had said previously that the, you know casino gambling is not a litmus test. Actually, it is now. You had the Republican Party of Texas come out once again and reiterate that they're against all this. Right. And the Freedom Caucus in the House last weekend after we did the show, they put out a tweet that I thought was interestingly timed because the Freedom Caucus in the House, these are the guys who say they're the most conservative Republican members. They put out a tweet that said, essentially, there's no place for casinos in Texas and sports betting is also something that we can't support. It wasn't a new position for them. But they were putting that statement out right before the hearings on this was were supposed to happen in the Texas House this Wednesday. Um, so I think that at this point, you've got the grass wor- roots of the Republican Party working against it. And 
I'm not even sure it can get out of the House. I mean, we're talking about the Senate and what Patrick has said. Um, the Freedom Caucus said that it's the quote woke sports franchises <laughs> that that want wow. to be able to that want to be able to move right, but want to be able to move uh, this uh, sports betting bill through the House and the Senate. If you set aside the silly language about the sports teams being woke, what's significant is that 13 Republican legislators are saying that they are hard nose on the bill. And given that, I have no idea how you get to 100 votes even in the House for sports betting or for casinos. Now, that isn't keeping the chairman of the Judiciary Committee in the House from pushing the bill, and, and he should. I mean, he's been he's been on this. Jeff Leach uh, is a Republican legislator from uh, Allen, Texas. He was on the Mark Davis show, and it's interesting, to bolster your point, that maybe this isn't done. Now, let me argue the opposite. To, bo- to bolster your point that maybe this isn't done, Jeremy, um, conservatives are split on this. The Republican Party saying what, what I said they're, that they're saying. Mark Davis, who's a conservative thought leader, in Dallas Fort Worth, he's going the other way on sports betting. He doesn't like the casinos, but he's open to mobile sports betting. And Leach was on the Mark Davis show in Dallas Fort Worth to talk about it. Right now, I, I see all the ads, DraftKings and you know the Caesars and Bally's and bet on this and bet. That. Can I not do that on my phone in Texas right now? Well, you cannot do it legally right now. Um, In Texas, you're exactly right what you just said. Um, Our estimates are that over 2 million bets totaling uh, nearly $9 billion are placed every year in Texas. Hundreds of thousands of Texans are doing this. Uh, What they don't realize is that they're uh, they're criminals under current Texas law. Our Constitution makes that a crime to do so. Um, And what our bill uh, will do is essentially decriminalize this allow those folks to come out of the shadows. It will put a a smart and efficient regulatory structure around this. Um, It it is not an uh, an expansion in and of itself of gambling in Texas, unlike some of the other bills that would would, uh, promote destination-style resort casinos and whatnot across the state. We believe that we should join the over 35 other states that are doing this, and um, and we can do it the right way. We need to do it safely and securely. I'm with I'm with President Trump on this. President Trump said that he's okay with sports betting betting because it's happening anyways. And he said, you know, quote, whether you have it or you don't have it, you have it. Close quote. And uh, we have it in Texas, and I think it's time that we decriminalize it. Here's another reason I would say this is probably all toast, uh, Jeremy, and this is what always happens on these gambling uh, proposals at the Texas Capitol. You know the story about the crabs in a bucket, right? The crabs are trying to crawl out of the bucket, and one of the crabs will start to make its way out of the bucket, and the other crabs grab his legs and pull him back down in. And that's what happens with the casinos and the, the sports betting folks. In the hearing, uh, that Texas, uh, state of, uh, Texas House State Affairs hearing this week, uh, both the casino bill and the sports betting bill, they got their hearings um, in that same committee during that same meeting. Um, and the bills are in conflict. I mean, the the sports betting, for example, prime example, the sports betting bill by Leach says that there cannot be any brick and mortar sports betting locations, right? You couldn't go, you know, get a ticket you know, if you're walking into a Mavs game or you know, to go see the Rockets or the Texans, the Cowboys or the Spurs or whatever, you wouldn't be able to do that in person. You'd have to do it on your phone. The casino bill says that for any sports betting that would happen, it would have to be at brick and mortar locations within those casinos, right? So that's where these people are already kind of gunning at each other. Um, And I had heard, I had understood that uh, one of the big casino operators was already telling members of the legislature that if sports betting, and again, this is because these bills are being handled separately. It's, it's, 
it's not really framed up this way publicly, but this is what ends up happening. There's one bill for the casinos and one bill for the sports betting apps. And they end up turning on each other. The, the casino guys were privately telling Republicans and Democrats at the legislature that if sports betting was put on the ballot coming up this November, that it would lose, that it would go down with like 46 or 46. It would only get 46% or something like that, which of course runs opposite of everything I've ever heard. Every poll I've ever seen about whether people actually want to see expanded gambling in Texas. But you have to think, Jeremy, the folks who put it in the Texas constitution years ago, the very strict prohibition on expansion of gambling. Do you imagine that they would have set up so many people to make so much money lobbying on this for one session after another? And for Dan Patrick and Greg Abbott, to your point about the the report that you originally had with Abbott, you just sort of opening the door just a crack for those resort casinos. Look, for those guys, for, and there's a reason Patrick's not saying no, right? Does it, hey, he doesn't want to not get their contributions once the session is over. Abbott doesn't want to cut off the flow of cash from these gaming interests. This is being talked about in a way by the leadership that makes me think that, hey, they at least want the conversation to keep going and the contributions to keep flowing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, look, I can certainly see that. Look, I've, I've been covering expansion of gaming in, in so many states over my career. And the one thing that's been pretty consistent, one, you know, there is a ton of money. But the other, you know, truism about, you know, the gaming interest is that they turn on each other with such passion and will stick each other with a knife at any moment. It's not just the <laughs> casino, one casino yeah. company versus the net. Think about, like, you know, just Las Vegas showed you. Las Vegas Sands makes all its money in casinos. Bet MGM is a sports betting, you know, king right now. They're yeah. in conflict with each other on this bill. But then you also have the paramutuals. Like the paramutuals are like, hey, wait, we're already in town. We want a piece of this action. You have the Native American casinos like, hey, wait a minute. You know, why aren't we getting more of this? And so what you end up having is this, this, this big battle uh, that pits each of them against each other and can't keep, get them on the same page. In mm-hmm. Florida, it was just absolutely crippling too. <laughs> Every time they were start working on a deal, something would always go wrong, right? To to kind of you know expand gaming. In Texas, you're going to have that problem until they can all figure out like how do we all work together? But I don't want you getting something I don't get. You know, how do you make the, again, these are gambling interests. These aren't like, you know, mom and pop, like, you know, you know, church going, (laughs) you know, know, people you're trying to work with. You're talking about people who want to make a lot of money off of the people of Texas Mm -hmm. and put it in their pocket. And you're trying to get them to be fair and kind of give an inch. No, that's not how casinos were built. (laughs) They weren't built to help you as a gambler. They were help built to pay the people who yeah. make gaming. <laughs> and it just occurred to me, the irony of the fact that when casino interests, sports betting interests, where they come into Texas, the odds are stacked against them instead bum, bum, of the, it's instead of the other way around. When you go to the casino, believe me, the house is going to win in, in the long run, but good luck anyway. I'm not saying it's not fun. Jeremy, <clears throat> I have an idea. I, I, I saw, that you had a pretty interesting story uh, that requires us to go back in time. And so if you'll allow me, I'd like us to go back to the 1980s. Now, of course, you know, the, uh, the trivia on that 
was who played the guitar on beat of it. course yeah that's eddie van halen you can well, hear of it. course yeah you're right let's hear some more of it And this is going back to both of our childhoods. I mean, you think about the fact that it wasn't the Texans playing in Houston. Back then, the NFL team was the Oilers. And here goes Earl Campbell. He knocked out. Robertson on his back. Knocked out. Beautiful. Beautiful. Oh, what They're going wild in Houston. I was thinking about what TV shows were on at that time, Jeremy. It would have been stuff like uh, Family Ties. Now, when we actually get to what we're talking about, people will say, what was all that about? I'm just trying to set the mood here. Like one of the other things that, uh, that I remember was there was a show that, and you know, I'm thinking back to when the reruns would have been on later. Um, maybe by the time I was, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years old, there was one show that went off the air in 1983. So by like 1986 or seven, I would have been able to watch it as a, as a very, as a young kid, but it might've been kind of, I mean, we were talking about questionable material previously. You of course remember three's company. And knock on our door. Come and knock on our door. We've been waiting for you. We've been waiting for you. Where the kisses are hers and hers and his. Three's company too. Now, why are we going back in time? Well, uh, if you think about what was going on in Texas, one of the big things had to do with technology. I mean, we have been leading the world in so many things for so long, uh, but there are things where there's an ebb and flow where we're really, you know, strong on some things at certain points. And then we you know, kind of, you know, we'll, we'll go backward. We'll kind of, there'll be a, we'll backslide on certain things. Um, but the technology, I mean, if you think about the fact that at one point, Jeremy, we led the world to semiconductors and you know, microchips, whatever it was that powered the real tech, it was here before it was overseas, right? Yeah. Uh, when you get to the late 1970s, early 1980s, Texas, dominated this world thanks in large part to texas instruments texas yeah. instrument was was creating microchips that like was so far ahead of their time mm -hmm. that nobody else could keep up we had a stranglehold on this entire industry because it wasn't just them it was this whole periphery of businesses that grew up around them and then you had austin san antonio right. you know texas instrument even put up a, a facility in lubbock in this quest right. to dominate the world in computer chip making and they were doing it. They were literally the number one manufacturer of microchips in the entire world. Yeah. And people remember having, I know I had the Texas instruments, uh, calculator. You wanted the, they had, you know, a lot of cool ones that, <laughs> that sort of ran the gamut. That calculator would do everything that, that but you would have one of those calculators that had so many buttons on it. I had no idea what they all did. I'm sure there's a math teacher or two listening to this that thinks I'm an idiot at this moment. But I also remember this. You, you remember the, the piece of technology that every kid had to have as part of their learning experience? Spell sure. S-U-R-E. 
That is correct. The speak and spell. You know, this was a, and I will share this fun fact. So the voice of the speak and spell is a guy from Dallas. His name is Mitch Carr. I think he's still working at CBS Radio. He and I worked together. We were co-anchors of the Midday News at KRLD, 1080 AM, going back to 2010, 2011, something like that. Super nice guy. But when he would say, um, you know, that whatever that we're about to talk about, it's coming up on KRLD. When he would say KRLD, I'd want to go, that's correct. <laughs> and it was, um, the, this is something that is really coming full circle, Jeremy, as you wrote about, we had this, you know, big surge of being, you know, on top of the world when it came to this industry and we have lagged behind. And now the stage is at least set for a comeback, right? Yeah. That's, a, that's a, how I built this entire story around this premise. Look, we've been hearing about, you know, you, you, if if you're not a business reader, you're probably, you know, look, you know that, you know, places like Samsung and some of these other tech companies are starting to kind of expand their footprint. But, you know, what does it kind of all mean in the end? All the work that's been happening, you know, behind the scenes and really up to this point, uh, you know, after decades of fumbling away what once was our dominating hold on the computer industry, we're trying mm-hmm. to get that mojo back. And what that means is that, you know, we've, you know, you know Representative Mike McCall, the congressman from Austin, whose district goes all the way down to Katie, like he ended up uh, getting, you know, pieces in federal legislation that not only brings a lot of, you know, money to Texas to kind of recruit more semiconductor companies and microchip companies to come to Texas, but we're also now in a really good position to win this $2 billion national semiconductor project that would be a collaboration between Texas A&M and UT. Yeah, you got that right. The Horns and the Aggies are working together on this project Mm -hmm. because it is potentially so economically life-altering in Texas in terms of what it can mean for future generations. We're talking a dominating hold potentially on all semiconductor manufacturing in the world could get centered here as the entire world gets more nervous about most of the semiconductor manufacturing that's now in Taiwan, right? It's right there next to China. Who knows what China is going to do? Ultimately, Mm -hmm. they clearly have made clear that they believe Taiwan to be part of their country. And so there's going to be problems there down the road. And so how do you get around it? get it to the U.S. And Texas is making this major push right now. That's why you see, you know, in the last couple of weeks, the governors had these press conferences. Mike McCall convened a session over at UT that had A&M representatives and pretty much every tech company you can think of. You know, mm-hmm. Intel, Texas Instruments, they were all in there trying to craft a plan of how Texas is going to reemerge and kind of regain where we were once before, not just in making the, you know, look, we design a lot of the chips here, but we don't manufacture them. And so that's where that, you know, during the pandemic, you couldn't get, you know, appliances, you know, at the store, you couldn't get a car, you couldn't get any of that stuff because we didn't have the chips. We could design them, but we couldn't get them in from Taiwan. But now we actually have the bones now of being able to create a, basically an ecosystem of being able to build, you know, design the chips, manufacture them here and getting them in products. So it's it really kind of like life altering. People really should check out you know, the story I wrote in the Houston Chronicle. It's like, it really kind of shows you just kind of how, like we've been here before we let it get away from us, partly through some really bad decisions by Texas instruments. You know, one of their decisions was to move that, you know, facility to Lubbock, Texas. And so then when they were trying to get engineers to come to Texas, they were competing with, you know, the people in the Silicon Valley. So you had engineers trying to decide, do I go to San Francisco and wine country or do I go to Lubbock? 
no offense to my friends in Lubbock, but it didn't go well. <laughs> and so ultimately, Texas Instruments really plunged. It kind of set them back. Their whole personal computer industry kind of fell apart. Even though they were ahead on microchips, they ended up falling behind and became you know, not nearly you know, the force that they thought they were going to be. Right. And other companies got ahead of them. So it's a, you can see, it's, a, it's a really interesting story about how our economy could be remade. Uh, and we're actually in a good position to get it done. You know, again, like I said, Horns and Aggies working together, Democrats, Republicans, even Abbott and Joe Biden are saying a lot of the same words. They may not be patting each other on the back, but they're all in the right ballpark right now. Yeah, this is the kind of thing that should be focused on by leadership, you know, further diversification of the economy, making the right investments and all of that. What I fear is that we get caught up in too many of these culture war issues that can complicate these things. A good example would be the lieutenant governor's priority to do away with tenure at our universities, right? I mean, if you think about the fact that we have not done the work that we've needed to do, and I've talked about this before, in this state, we haven't done what we need to do to create the workforce pipeline for all the high-tech jobs that have been coming in. So you have Travis County, Austin specifically, where all of these tech firms have either their headquarters or they have a beachhead here. You think about Apple with the big campus. You got Tesla out there in eastern Travis County. You've got Indeed and Facebook and Google. You just go down the list. They're they're all here, right? And we're having to bring in all these people from California and India and elsewhere who have the expertise to fill these high-tech jobs because we haven't done the work we need to through our higher education system to just have those people here. Why are we having to bring you know, where's the workforce pipeline for this stuff? And you're only going to make it worse by focusing on these culture war deals where you're not going to get top talent to uh, to be the instructors for these folks at our universities. We have some of the best universities on the planet, right? But they need backup. They don't need a tax. I mean, you've also been writing about the DEI situation that we've talked here about, and that's already defunded in the Texas House budget, right? So we're getting, we're getting sidetracked. We should be talking about how do we make Texas an economic leader And a lot of this has to do with the fact that we have been an economic leader. And in a lot of ways, the people who are in leadership positions now weren't there when all that was being built, right? We talk about a Texas miracle. It's not a miracle. It's a stupid term. I wish people would stop saying it. It's not a miracle. People came up with a plan to make us number one economically in so many ways. And you can get back there again by embracing plans and not just wishing and hoping and praying that it's going to happen on its own. Yeah, and, and and so a very key part, the, the whole reason we took you through those 1980s, you know, uh, is as like there was there was a mojo that was going on at Texas Instruments. You know, they were doing things that they probably shouldn't, and like way too bold <laughs> for what they were trying to do. And but you know what, it kind of worked in a lot of ways. Yes. And then look, it ended up you know, you know faltering. But to me, this, what what's happening right now with this microchip stuff? People thought like kind of big. It's like why don't we go take all this stuff back from Taiwan? put it back in Texas, get A&M, which produces more engineers than just about anybody in the world, and yeah. UT, which has become a hub for the tech industry because of what's happened, like you've mentioned with Samsung and Tesla and everybody else yeah. coming in. Mm-hmm. And then we, you know, there, there's this burgeoning you know, microchip world you know, back up in DFW area now. You know, they're seeing all kinds of people moving up in there. So it has a potential of really kind of affecting a lot of corners in the state. And an interesting part of my story was that uh, I talked to both the University of Texas president and uh, uh, the Texas A&M chancellor, uh, you know, about how they know it can't be just them. Cause like you said, our schools aren't producing 
enough people you know, right. for this tech world. So they need to work with all the colleges. That's why the community colleges are going to get a piece of this action. The other universities, you know, University of Houston, UTSA, everybody is going to have a piece of this. And it could really turn us into kind of, you know, not quite Silicon Valley, but, you know, maybe better. You know, it's like, hey, mm-hmm. Silicon Valley with more Whataburgers? Can't beat that. You know, maybe instead of focusing so much on DEI and what they think is wrong with it, or CRT and what they think is wrong with it. Why don't they focus on making us more like MIT? Right? Like let's let's go to war with these other stuff. We've always prided ourselves on being number one on, on, on in these things. You have the governor bragging about all of the governor's cups that Texas has won. Every year he's been governor. That, that we win the governor's cup. And when he did a press conference about that a couple of weeks ago here, it was pointed out to me by business leaders where he's bragging about last year's numbers, which is fine. But that has to do with corporate relocations that were done when we still had a program to attract corporate relocations that he let expire, right? So it takes leadership. It takes people getting together and talking about how we're going to get it done. Jeremy, it's another double platinum edition. It might even be better than, I don't even know what, what's better than double platinum. I don't know. I'd say, you know, if, if I'm using the same measuring stick of uh, Kiss albums, nothing's better than Kiss's double platinum album. I'm sorry. It's just, it is the, the cream of the crop of all Kiss albums. I will let, uh, I'll let the listeners decide, uh, you know, rate the show. You know, we want you to hit, you know, five stars, obviously, but if for some reason you have to give us less stars than that, tell us the reason we always want to improve and get better. It, it, you know, it, these shows, they hit it about 99%, something like that. I mean, it's, it, you're not going to get a much better podcast than this, really across topics, whatever it is, but certainly none better than than this on Texas politics. However you listen to the show, rate it, like I said, hit the subscribe button, donate please to the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, scottbraddock.com. I've got the link right there for, for those adamant listeners who love these double platinum editions. The challenge is at least 20 bucks, okay? For the haters, $25. ScottBraddock.com. The link is right there. Subscribe at QuorumReport.com, HoustonChronicle.com, and we will see you next week.